This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If vacationing on the open seas sounds like your idea of paradise, you've probably already been on an ocean cruise. Whether it's a three-day trip returning to the same port or an around-the-world adventure, cruise ships offer something for everyone. For some, it's the ultimate chance to escape the stresses of everyday life, where you can enjoy a level of comfort and luxury that's limited only by your budget. Over the years, Cruise liners have been the definitive nautical getaway for scores of holiday seekers. You can sit back, relax, and enjoy the sunshine as dedicated staff attend to your every need. It's just you, the horizon, and a few thousand other people, give or take, for company. You can do as little or as much as your heart desires. This was exactly what the passengers of the Italian cruise liner, the Costa Concordia, were looking for when they boarded in January 2012. For the 3,200 excited vacationers, the seven-day cruise around the stunning Tyrrhenian Sea off the west coast of Italy couldn't come soon enough. The massive ship was run by Costa Cruises and was the star of their fleet. It was one of the largest cruise ships in Europe, spanning the length of about three and a half football fields. It stood at just over 100 feet tall, and everything about its design was done on a grand scale. When it was completed in 2005, the price tag had come to a staggering half a billion dollars. The luxury sea liner boasted 1,500 passenger cabins. Across its sprawling 13 stories of deck space were amenities including four swimming pools, five restaurants, 13 bars, a multi-level theater, a casino, a Grand Prix racing simulator, and a nightclub. There were a thousand crew members aboard to help ensure everything ran smoothly. At the helm was the ship's 51-year-old captain, Francesco Scatino, who was an 11-year veteran of Costa Cruises. Having left port on the January 2012 cruise, the ship would be making several stops as it sailed its way around the Tyrrhenian Sea. The trip was guaranteed to impress all the honeymooners, retirees, and families on board. But for those passengers who were superstitious, there were a few things they may not have known about. For one, when the ship was launched years earlier, the ceremonial smashing of the champagne bottle did not go well, with the bottle failing to break on the first hit. As far as maritime traditions go, this is considered a bad omen. But who really believes in superstitions anyway? So, when the cruise liner left the dock and headed off for a week of fun in the sun, everyone was thrilled to be there. However, as those aboard were about to find out, their luxury trip was about to become a real-life nightmare. 
Oh my god, the boat is sinking. The boat is sinking right now. Oh my god. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. It was around 9.30 on the evening of January 13, 2012, as the Costa Concordia sailed past the small island of Isola del Giglio, located near Tuscany. Some lucky passengers were enjoying a gala dinner in the Third Deck restaurant. Fifteen minutes later, at 9.45 p.m., guests felt a sudden jolt, accompanied by a loud noise. In the fancy third-deck restaurant, dishes, cutlery, and drinks went flying. The force of the impact was enough to knock passengers to the floor. The massive cruise liner shook violently as shocked diners struggled to their feet. Clearly, something major had happened to the ship, but if they were looking to the waitstaff for answers, they were not going to find any. The crew did their best to minimize any panic by telling passengers everything was under control. It was obvious, however, that everything was not all right. The Costa Concordia was lurching heavily to one side. It didn't take long before an announcement came over the ship's PA system. The message advised that the incident was simply an electrical failure and that the issue was being fixed. As the boat continued to lean to one side, it didn't take an expert to know this was not an electrical problem. The announcement was a lie, and passengers knew it. Minutes after the impact, there was a complete blackout as the ship lost all power. Meanwhile, crew in the engine room had discovered the source of the problem. The ship had collided with a rock on the sea floor that left a 230-foot gash in the hull. Water was pouring in, flooding the engines, which cut off the power supply. The massive ship was now drifting. At around 10 p.m., Captain Scatino made a radio call to the company's emergency management team notifying them of the collision. But he was evasive and failed to fully explain what had occurred or how it happened. When he did finally provide further details, he downplayed the seriousness of the situation. Another officer on the bridge alerted the Italian Coast Guard, but also limited the story to a problem with the generators. When the Costa Concordia was built, Safety regulations required a design that could survive two adjacent compartments being flooded. Similar to the Titanic over 100 years earlier, in this case, the damage far exceeded the safety measures. The Italian cruise liner had sustained critical breaches to three compartments, as well as the engine room. 
Video footage taken from the bridge recorded Captain Scatino communicating to his officers, and it was not good news. Everything is going to hell here. We have a gash. I believe we're letting in water. The director is asking if we only have two compartments breached. With two compartments breached, we can survive. There are no problems. Now they can't get the pumps working. By now, passengers were beginning to panic, and with no direction from the captain or crew, they started calling police on the mainland. Parents reassured their children that everything was going to be okay, knowing that the situation was far from all right. At 10.20 p.m., passengers began receiving instructions from crew members to put on their life jackets. They were told that it was just a precaution and that everything was under control. Passengers were advised that they were free to return to their cabins or the ship's lounge areas while the issue with the generators was being worked on. As the ship continued to tilt further to the side, it was difficult to believe the situation was going to get better. Cabin doors were falling open. Glassware and other items not firmly held down were smashing all around. It was virtually impossible to walk from one side of the ship to the other, given the steep uphill climb. At 10.26 p.m., 40 minutes after the collision, Captain Scatino sent a request to the Coast Guard, not for help with the shipwide evacuation, but for a single tugboat. The cruise ship continued to take on water. Half an hour later, the Costa Concordia finally stopped drifting. Incredibly, it took another 10 minutes before the abandoned ship order was finally given. More than an hour after the impact, passengers were instructed to assemble on Deck 4, which operated as the lifeboat station. If anyone still thought this was some kind of electrical problem, this is when the reality of the situation became clear. Shipwide panic, confusion, and chaos ensued. Hope quickly turned to fear, and in the darkness, people began screaming. Overcome with terror, many passengers jumped into the freezing water rather than wait for a lifeboat. As it turned out, the 20-minute swim to shore may have in fact been a lot faster than waiting. When it came to launching the lifeboats, it didn't exactly go smoothly. That's because they can't deploy safely if a ship is listing at an angle of more than 20 degrees. By the time the evacuation order was given, the Costa Concordia was tilting at a staggering 70 degrees. This meant that when the lifeboats were finally lowered, they slammed against the side of the ship, putting everyone in them in danger. In some cases, it was so bad that evacuated passengers had to get back on board the sinking ship. With many of the lifeboats inaccessible due to the ship's dangerous angle, the few remaining boats filled up quickly and left. As they headed for the shore and the crippled ship became smaller, passengers could see just how massive a disaster it really was.
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Hundreds of passengers remain stranded on the now-wrecked luxury cruise liner. The shouts and screams of those on board were mixed with the horrific noise of metal tearing apart underneath the water as the ship continued to list further. Stranded passengers began phoning their loved ones, believing they would never make it off the boat alive as the water continued to rise. The Coast Guard scrambled two rescue helicopters, but it took them almost an hour to arrive at the site. When they saw the extent of the disaster, the pilots were in disbelief. Going on reports from Captain Scatino and his bridge crew, they were expecting to see a cruise ship in distress, but nothing remotely close to what they found. By the time they arrived at 11.30 p.m., the nearly 1,000-foot-long Costa Concordia was on its side and almost entirely submerged in the water. The remaining passengers had no choice but to climb down a rope ladder dangling along the bow, where they were met by Italian Coast Guard, Navy, and Air Force helicopters. At 1.46 a.m., the Coast Guard attempted to contact Captain Scatino, assuming he was still on board coordinating the evacuation effort. Repeated attempts to locate him failed until rescuers discovered that he was not on the ship. In fact, the captain had left the ship hours earlier in one of the lifeboats, before any of his passengers. Outraged, the Coast Guard radioed Captain Scatino and ordered him to return to the ship to manage the evacuation. As Scatino tried justifying why he couldn't return, the Coast Guard angrily demanded that he comply immediately. But he didn't. Instead, the moment he hit shore, Francesco Scatino grabbed a taxi to a nearby hotel. It was here that he would later tell Italian news reporters that, in keeping with his responsibility as captain, he was the last off the ship. He also said that while he wasn't exactly sure, he was pretty confident that all passengers had been rescued. He was wrong. I am DeFalco from Lavarno, Captain. Yes, good evening, Commander DeFalco. Tell me your name, please. I am Captain Scatino. Scatino? Listen, Scatino, there are people trapped on board. Now, you go with your rescue boat under the ship's starboard bow. There is a rope ladder. You get on that rope ladder and go aboard the ship and tell me how many people are in there. Is that clear? I'm recording this conversation, Captain Scatino. Listen, some people are coming down by that rope ladder. Now, you go back to that rope ladder, you climb on that ship, and tell me how many people are there and what they have on board. Got it? Is that clear? You tell me if there are any children, 
women, or people who need assistance. Is that clear? Do you want to go home, Scatino? It's dark, so you want to go home? Go up to the bow of the ship and tell me what can be done, how many people are there, and what they need. Now! As the rescue effort continued, passengers who had made it to land were left standing in the cold, piles of orange life jackets on the ground all around them. Eventually, people started making their way to a nearby church for shelter. All the while, helicopters overhead continued to search for more victims. By 4.30 a.m., the six-hour rescue operation was just about coming to an end, thanks to the tireless work of authorities. The ship was lying almost entirely on its right side, making searches inside the massive vessel challenging. But there were 40 people who remained unaccounted for. Three passengers who had jumped overboard to swim to shore drowned. Seven other people had been critically injured. It was impossible for survivors not to see the bodies as they were brought to shore. One by one, they were wheeled past the crowd to waiting ambulances. What investigators would eventually discover is that the location of passengers at the time of the impact had a direct influence on whether they made it out alive. As dawn broke, rescuers, including divers, continued to coordinate a search of underwater sections of the ship. Above the waterline, a couple on their honeymoon had somehow slept through the entire catastrophe and were thankfully found safe, still in their cabin. A crew member was also found alive and taken to safety. As the sea became choppy on the side of the ship, now its top deck, a rescue team slowly hauled out someone stuck inside. Two days trapped with a broken leg. Back on shore, Italian authorities, officials from Costa Cruises, and the media we're all trying to figure out what caused the collision. It was quickly revealed that when the ship struck the reef, it was sailing dangerously close to the coastline. Authorities were also learning more about the early stages of the evacuation effort, if you can call it that. With so many first-hand accounts of gross negligence and dereliction of duty by senior officers, it didn't take long before Captain Scatino and his second-in-command were taken into custody. They were both held on suspicion of manslaughter. The man at the center of the investigation into the Italian cruise ship disaster, Captain Francesco Scatino, is under house arrest after appearing in court. He's widely blamed for the incident and faces possible manslaughter charges, along with being accused of abandoning ship before all his passengers and crew scramble to safety. But his lawyer is mounting a robust defense. Rivendicando quello che è stato. The captain claims he controlled the boat after the impact. In his opinion, and it's not only his opinion, the way he acted contributed to saving hundreds or even thousands of human lives. The Carnival Corporation, which jointly owned Costa Cruises, announced that it would conduct an internal investigation. According to reports, there were concerns that the Costa Concordia had failed to comply with two major requirements, rules that apply to all international cruise ships. 
The first was that all passengers were supposed to have received emergency instructions within 24 hours of leaving home port. The second was that in the event an abandoned ship order was given, cruise liners are required to launch all necessary lifeboats within 30 minutes. Rescue divers continued to search the wreck for those who remained missing. Poor visibility and difficult weather hampered search efforts, which had to be suspended on numerous occasions. Rescuers also had the added problem of the instability of the ship, which posed a significant safety risk. Because there was nothing supporting the ship's weight, there was the real possibility the wreck could slide deeper into the water. When it was over, the bodies of 27 passengers and five crew members were recovered. Another person was later added to the list when a member of the rescue team died after badly cutting his leg on the ship's torn metal. 64 other passengers and crew were injured. Costa Cruises offered surviving passengers around $13,000 per person as compensation for the accident. They also compensated surviving crew members. As well as the company's internal review, the European Maritime Safety Agency pursued their own investigation to establish whether any of the crew or Costa Cruise management were criminally liable. As more details emerged, it became clear that the collision was due solely to human error. The ship's planned route revealed that when it struck the reef, it had deviated from the original course. But why? There was nothing to suggest Captain Scatino had been under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So what went wrong? It was revealed in court that at 9 p.m., the captain and his officers arrived at one of the restaurants on Deck 3 for a gala dinner. After mingling with passengers for a while, Captain Scatino returned to the bridge. But he was not alone. According to reports, the prosecution alleged that the captain's mind wasn't exactly on the job at hand. His girlfriend, a dancer from Moldova, had not only come aboard the ship as a non-paying passenger, but was on the bridge at the time of the impact. Captain Scatino insisted that he was instructed by senior management on shore to perform what's known as a sail-by. The cruise ship had done the maneuver during a previous run along the same route. A sail-by is where a maritime vessel sails as close to the shoreline as possible as a salute to the residents. But the bigger the ship, the more dangerous it is, with the increased risk of running aground. Captain Scatino told the court that he was well acquainted with the ship's position and had experience executing a sail-by. Comfortable with the area they were sailing in, he said he switched off the alarm that was linked to the ship's navigation system. The rocky underwater outcrop they ran into, he claimed, was not on his map. Then there was the matter of failing to communicate the extent of the situation with maritime authorities. The fact that the captain had abandoned ship before the passengers had been rescued didn't help his case either. His actions were downright scandalous and ultimately a PR disaster for the cruise line. The court also heard from passengers that the crew failed to provide adequate assistance. Survivors also stated that if they had followed initial instructions to stay in their cabins, there was no question they would have drowned. However, there were plenty of accounts of crew members assisting passengers with lifeboats well before there was an official evacuation order. 
Many of the junior staff were later recognized for their outstanding efforts during the disaster. It was added to the record that their actions directly prevented an even greater loss of life. The defense team argued, in vain, that it was the ensuing chaos that cost lives, as opposed to the collision itself. Captain Scatino made things worse for himself when he testified that he hadn't actually abandoned ship early, but had simply fell off the ship as it listed. Fortunately, he claimed, he fell right into a lifeboat. But despite his pleas to return to the ship, the lifeboat continued toward shore. He may have been the captain of a cruise ship, but apparently he had no authority over the lifeboat operator. His extremely weak explanations failed to sway the court. In early 2015, he was convicted and sentenced to 16 years in prison after pleading guilty to manslaughter. He was held responsible for causing the collision, abandoning ship, and obstructing the investigation. But the former captain was not alone. Two years earlier, in July 2015, five people, including senior members of the Costa Cruz's management team, were convicted on charges of negligence and manslaughter. The cruise company itself, Costa Cruz's, and the Carnival Corporation somehow managed to avoid any criminal liability. As far as the insurance company was concerned, the Costa Concordia luxury cruise liner was a total write-off. The damage to the ship was significant enough, but the environmental impact of the accident was still being calculated. When the ship sank, there was around 2,400 tons of fuel on board, enough to fill a decent-sized oil tanker. The longer the wreck stayed on the reef, the greater the risk of a massive spill. Once the defueling operation was completed, the ship was lifted upright and towed to a salvage yard to be dismantled. According to reports, two more bodies were found once the ship was drained, but this has been repeatedly denied by the salvage companies. With the Costa Concordia reduced to nothing more than a memory, it was time for survivors and families of those who died to try and move forward. The entirely avoidable disaster had cost dozens of lives and, in the end, an estimated $2 billion to clean up. If there was anything positive to come out of the devastating events of that fateful day in January 2012, it's that safety and evacuation procedures for cruise liners were tightened. The industry now requires all cruise ships to conduct emergency drills before leaving every port, and all routes must receive approval prior to departure. Also, no one but senior officers are permitted on the bridge under any circumstances. Shortly after the deadly shipwreck, the Italian government banned large cruise liners from conducting the so-called sail-by maneuver. Despite the proven risks, public calls for this type of nautical performance to be reinstated continued long after the Costa Concordia was removed from the seabed.
is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.